0: Playing for us tonight. I'm going to uh, invite you to take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 20. We continue to uh, systematically make our way through this Gospel. We come to uh, the very end of chapter 20 tonight, very short Scripture reading, uh, verses 29 through 34. While you're turning there, just um, like to remind you of the context that Jesus has just given his disciples instruction about true greatness. Uh, true greatness is is not in the eyes of God what it is in the eyes of the world. True greatness is serving other people. And now Jesus is going to show them what this kind of serving other people looks like. And a very important passage, helpful instruction for us tonight, Matthew twenty, beginning at verse twenty nine. And as they, meaning Jesus and his disciples, went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. I said to you last week that the world is uh, mostly impressed with people who are famous, uh, people who are wealthy, people who are popular, people who are influential. As an example, the um, top five Instagram accounts, in terms of how many followers they have, the top five are two soccer players, a reality TV star, and two actors. So that reinforces the point that it is the successful, the famous, the influential that are seen to be great. On the flip side, the world is not very impressed with nobody's. Uh, The world is not impressed with people whom no one knows, people who have no money, and people who have no power. Two men tonight in our text whom the world would never look at as great men. In fact, when the crowd of people who are following Jesus see what these two men are doing, they tell these two men to shut up. This should be an encouraging passage to us tonight We may be nobodies in the eyes of the world. We may think that we are rather insignificant. We may have very few, if any, followers on social media, if we even have a social media account. But tonight, we see the love and compassion of Jesus toward the weak and the helpless and the insignificant. We want to look at this passage tonight in three parts. First of all, there is the plight, the plight of these two men. Secondly, there is the plea. And then third, there is the pity, the plight, the plea, and the pity. Jesus and his disciples are are now leaving Jericho, and, and a huge crowd is following them. Now, children, remember where Jesus is going at this point. The Bible tells us that he is on his way to the city of Jerusalem, where all kinds of horrible things will happen to him. Judas, you remember, one of Jesus' disciples, will betray Jesus. The Jewish police will arrest him. The disciples will abandon him. Jesus will be brought up on false charges. He will be condemned to death. Pilate, even though he knows that Jesus is innocent, will not release him, but will give in to the shouts of the Jews to crucify Jesus. Jesus will then be beaten and mocked, nailed to a cross, and there he will die. Jesus knows all of this. He knows what's coming, he knows what awaits him, and it's amazing that he goes willingly. He goes willingly to this, knowing what will happen because he loves his people, he loves you. Because he wants to do his father's will and he wants to save his people from their sins. Now the city of Jericho was about 15 miles away from Jerusalem and so Jesus and his disciples are are getting closer and closer and closer and as we've seen all throughout Matthew, once again a big crowd is following Jesus. And so you can picture this in your mind. You've got Jesus and his 12 disciples, and and they're making their way to Jerusalem, and you've got this massive crowd of people all around Jesus and the disciples, and they're moving kind of as one unit on the way to Jerusalem. Now, notice the first two words of verse 30, and behold. Now, maybe your translation doesn't have those words. It should have those words. And behold, now these words aren't just filler. Many of you know that in high school or in college when your professor, your teacher tells you you need to write a 500-word essay, you're scrambling to find any word you can to fill that word count. You're throwing ands in there and ors in there. You're throwing any kind of word you can think of to hit 500 words. That's not the case in the Word of God. The Bible is not like that. There are no unimportant words in the Bible. Theologians talk about the plenary, plenary inspiration of Scripture. The word plenary means um, complete or full. All of the Bible is the very word of God. And so these two little words that we may think are kind of old-fashioned. I mean, how many of us go around saying, and behold? Probably not many of us. These two words are very important. It's like saying, all of a sudden, something happens. And so you can picture this in your mind. You've got this, this massive crowd of people following Jesus. They're all moving toward Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, the focus is on these two men. Two men stand out. Two men get the attention of this crowd. Two men are sitting on the side of the road, and when they hear that Jesus is passing by, they cry out to him. Now the main thing we know about these two men at this point is what? They're blind. They can't see. And so they can't. They can't see this massive crowd of people coming, but surely they can hear the crowd. Children, if if there was a large crowd of people Let's say thousands and thousands of people. If you closed your eyes, you couldn't see them, but you could hear them. And so here are these two blind men on the side of the road, and they hear, they can't see because they're blind, but they hear that a crowd is coming, and someone must be telling them, Jesus is coming. Jesus is in this crowd. Now, these two men are are in a horrible predicament, they are blind. Close your eyes for a moment, if you want to. And close your eyes. It's completely dark. Imagine going your whole life not being able to see. Going through your whole life with no eyesight. Now, blindness was, was very common in that day. They didn't have the, um, the the medical advances that we have in our own day. And in addition to that, Jericho, the the city of Jericho had this um, special bush that they used to to make medicine to treat blindness. And and so Jericho usually had a large population of blind people living there because they were hoping to get treatment from this bush. Now if you were blind, you, you couldn't work, and so you would have to beg, and so these men... Are, are sitting there at the side of the road. They're blind and they're begging. Just think, if, if you can, and we have a hard time imagining this, but, but think of the hopelessness of their situation. Imagine this is you. Imagine that, that you can't see. It's, it's highly unlikely that you'll ever be able to see again. And, and so you've been reduced to sitting on the side of the road begging people for food or for money. For money. How sad that would be, how hopeless that would be. Now, we're meant to see more in this story than just, hey, here are two men who are blind, who are sitting on the side of the road begging. We're also meant to see that there is is something deeper being communicated to us here, and that is that this is a picture of our natural spiritual condition. This is me by nature. By nature, I was spiritually blind. My, my condition was hopeless. There was nothing, that, nothing at all that I could do. I was nothing but a beggar. Do you understand that, that this is who we are by nature before God? I, I don't say this tonight to make us all feel like worms. I, I say this tonight to To magnify the grace of God. To to make much of what he has done for us. I was a blind beggar on the side of the road. I was hopeless. I was helpless. But God gave me life. And so you have the plight of these two men. They're blind. They're begging. they're, They're absolutely hopeless. And now you have their plea. These two men are sitting there they hear, they hear some commotion. They hear people talking. It, it sounds like a big crowd is coming. And then they hear Jesus is in this crowd. And, and surely, if you're living in that day, you've heard about the mighty miracles of Jesus. You've, you've heard about his great works. You've heard that he, he healed the sick. He, he cast out demons. He raised the dead. He provided bread and fish for 20,000 people on two different occasions, You've heard of his mighty works, and so they hear that Jesus is coming, and so they cry out, Lord, have mercy on us, Son of David. They know that Jesus is a man of great authority, a man of great power. They call him Lord. They also know that there's something more to Jesus than, than that, that he's no mere human being. Son of David is a title that has a connection to 2 Samuel chapter 7. You might remember that when we went through 2 Samuel several months ago, that that God promised David that he would give David a descendant who would have an everlasting throne. He would be an everlasting king. And, And so these two blind men recognize that Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. He is the great king. And so they cry out to him for mercy. See, these men have an understanding that Jesus is able to do for them what they can't do for themselves. They understand that that Jesus is able to do for them what no bush in Jericho can do for them, that he is able to do for them what no one is able to do for them. Have mercy on us. But this crowd of people who are following Jesus don't like this. There's always people who dislike God's grace and mercy. And, and notice what verse 31 says, the crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. You ever wondered before, you know, why, why would the crowd do that? Why wouldn't they want these poor men to receive any help? William Hendrickson offers three possible reasons. He, he says, first of all, maybe the crowd is in a hurry to get to Jerusalem. They're on their way to Jerusalem, it's 15 miles away, and they they know that if Jesus stops to give attention and help to these two blind men, it's going to take them just that much longer to get there. So maybe that's one reason. Second, Hendrickson says that that maybe the crowd views this as something beneath Jesus. Jesus is a great man. Jesus is a powerful man. Jesus is a worker of miracles. seems kind of beneath Jesus, right, to to stand there and, and watch blind people begging him for help. And third, Hendrickson also says that maybe the crowd doesn't like the fact that the blind men are calling Jesus the son of David. The crowd knows what this title means. The crowd knows that this is a title that is reserved for the Messiah. They don't see Jesus as the Messiah, so they don't want to hear it. So they tell these men to stop. We don't know exactly why they rebuke these two men, why they tell these men to be quiet, but whatever the reason, it it does show something. It does show that they really don't care about people who are hurting. It does show that the crowd doesn't really have any true compassion for people whose situation is helpless. And there's a sense in which it it forces me and I guess you to, to ask myself at least the question of how do I view people who are hurting? How do I view people who are in a hopeless situation? For example, how do I... How do I view the person who is standing there at the corner as I'm leaving the Costco in Manteca, obviously homeless, and asking for money or for food? How do I view the person in downtown Modesto who is obviously suffering from some mental health disorder? Now, I'm not saying that, that we should just always hand people money. And I'm not saying that the homeless have done nothing ever to contribute to their situation but the question is what is my heart towards those people does my heart go out to them does my my heart break that they are in that position or do I scoff at them acting as if I'm better Do, do I say you know but for God's grace that could be me Often, you know, we, we fail to remember something, and that is that when we see that person who is homeless or we see that person who is begging or we see that person who, who seems to have some, some mental health struggles, we fail to see that that person, we fail to remember that that person has been created in the image of God. We forget that. And as we have opportunity, unlike this crowd who seems to not care, as we have opportunity, we are called to do good to them, to, to minister to those who are hurting. In fact, you—if you read your bulletin today—you might have seen there was a little bulletin announcement about a, an opportunity we have to minister to homeless people. There is an individual in our in our city in, in Ripon who has a ministry to the homeless camps in Stockton. There's a lot of homeless camps in Stockton. Um, it's an opportunity we have to to assist him in this ministry, not that we're going to the homeless camp, but we can provide so that he can take those things to these people. And so I'd encourage you, you know, check that out. Maybe the Lord will, will lead you and move your heart to donate items to that ministry. But this, this passage, again, makes me ask the question, how do I look at people who are hurting? How do I view them? The crowd tells these two men to keep quiet. Stop crying out to Jesus. But I love it that these two men are not deterred. They're not going to stop. Verse 31 says they just cry out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Is this not a beautiful picture of the persistence that we are to have in prayer? The diligence with which we are to approach God in prayer. If if you're at all like me, you know that there are times when you pray for something once, maybe twice, the Lord doesn't answer it, and so you move on to something else. You, You give up. It's easy for me to do that. But this is a reminder to us, an illustration of what Jesus says in Matthew, earlier in Matthew, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Children, is there something that you're praying for right now? Keep praying for that. Don't give up. These two blind men don't give up. They are persistent. Jesus, please be merciful to us. Think about this also. Little did these two men know that this would be the last time that Jesus would be in Jericho. You know, these two men could have said, well, you know, let's wait. Let's wait until Jesus comes through here again. The crowd is against us. This is, just isn't working out. The crowd's telling us to shut up. Let, let's not cause any waves. Not, let's not raise a commotion. We'll try again next time when Jesus is here. But they don't do that. They didn't listen to the crowd. They keep on crying out, and that's a good thing because this is the last time Jesus will come into their town. My point is this there there may be someone here tonight, or there may be someone watching on live stream, and you're saying to yourself as you sit in the pew, or you're saying to yourself as you sit in your house, I'll get more serious about Christianity some other time. I'm too young right now, I'm too busy right now, I've got a family to raise, I've got school to get through. I've got other things that occupy my interest right now, but one day, one day, I will get more serious about the things of eternity. You don't know that there will be another day. You don't know that this might be the last sermon you will ever listen to. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to consider your eternity. Today is the day to flee to Christ and to plead him for mercy and grace. We do not know. We do not know what tomorrow will bring. Jesus would never come into Jericho again. This would be the last time these men would see him. And they are pleading to him, begging him for mercy. And by the way, even as Christians, there will never, ever be a day in your Christian life when you don't need God's mercy. We need it every day. And so we have the plight, we have the plea, and we have the pity. Jesus stops, and he calls out to these two men. He asks them a question. He asks them, what do you want me to do for you? Now, if you think about this, It's amazing to me that Jesus would stop and do this. Jesus, you remember, is on his way to Jerusalem. Jesus is is on his way, and he knows why he's going there. He knows he's going to be betrayed. He knows he's going to be falsely accused. He knows he's going to be arrested. He knows he's going to be tortured. He knows he's going to die. Now you know, as, as well as I do, that when we are going through a particularly difficult time in our life, maybe, maybe it's our health, maybe it's um, uh, stress of some kind, work stress, family stress, maybe it's anxiety about the future. You're going through something in your life. And, and there's something that's causing you a, a super amount of stress. If someone comes to you when you are really stressed out and they ask you, hey, can you give me some help? The natural reaction for us is to say, you know, I would love to help, but I have my own issues I'm dealing with. i got things in my own life right now. I'm I'm sorry, I don't have time. We we typically aren't very others-oriented when we are going through a difficult time. Jesus stops to listen to these two blind men He's on his way to be tortured. He's on his way to be put to death. And he stops to minister to these men in the midst of their hopelessness. Shouldn't we seek by the power of the Holy Spirit to show the same kind of concern and compassion to others? God has shown us incredible mercy. Incredible mercy. As those who have received mercy, it should be our desire to show mercy to others. You know, instead of of saying about, for example, the ministry of the church, instead of saying, you know, what's in it for me at Zion? What's Zion going to do for me? Instead of saying that, as those who have received such mercy, we say, how can I serve? How, how, can I, how, how can I show the mercy of Christ to other people? It really is two different ways to approach the ministry of the church, isn't it? There are those who, who treat the church merely as consumers. Give me what I want, do what I want, and, and if I don't like it, if I don't get it, I'll go somewhere else. But then there are those who are servants who say, I'm here to serve, I'm here to get involved, I'm here, to use the illustration I used last week, I'm here to row the boat with you. As those who have been shown such mercy, we are to show such mercy to others, and we are called to serve one another. And again, remember the the context of this passage. It, It comes right on the heels of Jesus telling us that he didn't come to be served, he came to serve. And if we are united to Christ then we are called to serve as well. Jesus asked these men what do you want me to do for you? Now they could have said a number of different things. They, they, they could have said um, uh, can you please give us some food? We're hungry. Can you please give us some money? We, we have no money. Can you help us find a place to live? Can you help us find a job? But that's not what they asked for. They ask in verse 33 Lord let our eyes be opened. We want to be able to see again. We want our sight. And Jesus has pity on them. He has compassion on them. He doesn't say, Oh gotta get rid of these two. I gotta get to Jerusalem. I've got a lot to do. Let's get this over with. Jesus is such a, a compassionate savior. He's such a sympathetic savior. He knows everything you're going through. He knows your anxieties. He knows your trials. He knows your struggles. Hebrews 4.15 says that we don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. And in his compassion, he touches their eyes and immediately they recover their sight. You, You can imagine Imagine if you were blind and now you can see. Imagine the joy that you would have. And now, what do they do? They follow Jesus. That's always the response to God's saving grace, isn't it? We follow Jesus because of what he has done for us. These men didn't do anything to gain their sight back. They didn't do anything. They didn't, they didn't give Jesus any money. They, they didn't say, well, Jesus will do this for you if you will give us our sight back. They, they simply believe. Faith, again, this is last Sunday morning, sola fide, faith is the sole instrument by which they received the work of Christ. That's how it is in our salvation, faith alone. We are called to believe. We are called to embrace Jesus Christ with the empty hand of faith. And even our faith, Paul says in Ephesians 2, is the gift of God. Let's conclude, let's wrap this passage up with just two thoughts. Number one, this again is a great reminder to us of the incredible mercy that Jesus has shown to us. It's not just a story about two blind men sitting by the side of the road begging, it's a story about me. And if you have a tendency to to drift into thinking that you're actually a pretty good person that God is lucky to have you on his team if if you might think to yourself well you know i'm not that bad like people out there at least at least i had the brains and the sense to believe in jesus if you think that please meditate on this passage by nature my condition was hopeless i was nothing more than a blind hopeless beggar There was nothing I could do like these blind men to improve my condition before God. But God in his sovereign grace and mercy gave me sight. He caused me to see my sin. He caused me to see that I deserve the judgment of God. He caused me to see that that Jesus is the beautiful Savior, the merciful Savior, the perfect Savior, the Savior who is able to save to the uttermost all who come to him in faith. And now, like these two blind men, we follow him. We don't follow him to try to stay in his favor, but we follow him out of gratitude for his mercy to us. So, don't read this passage and don't think about this passage without also being reminded of what Jesus has done for you. Secondly, please remember that Jesus has not changed. He has not changed. The book of Hebrews says very simply Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What that means for you and for me, it means that you can continue. 2,000 years after this passage, you can continue to cry out to him for mercy. You can continue to go to him. Some of you tonight are anxious about something. Some of you tonight are fearful about something. Some of you are hurting over something. Some of you are are at a place in your life you, you just don't know what to do. You can go to him and he will always hear you. He will always, always hear you. He says to you tonight, in the words of John 6 44, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. He's never going to say to you, not now. He's never going to say to you, I don't have the time. He's never going to say to you, really? You're worried about that? That's stupid. You can always go to him. Take that home with you tonight. Your Savior is merciful and compassionate toward you. Doesn't matter the situation, doesn't matter the time of day. You can always cry out to Him. This is our Savior, not just the Savior. This is our Savior. How thankful we are for all that He has done for us. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, we give you praise and glory that as we study this passage, we see ourselves. We see our own natural, pitiable condition. We see our hopelessness. We see that we are blind with no hope to change our condition. And yet, You've shown mercy to all who cry out to you in faith. Father, help us to recognize that our Savior does not change, that we can always go to his throne of grace, and he will always hear us. He will always hear our cries for mercy and for grace. Help us too, Lord, to to minister to those who are hurting, to minister to those whose situation in life is hopeless, May we be those who, because we have been shown great mercy, seek to show mercy to others. Lord, how incredible your grace is to us. We praise you, we thank you. We pray you. This-